Well, good morning, Orchard. Hey, what a great, enthusiastic group we have this morning. And to our friends in Hawaii, aloha kakaiaka. Hano hano ikeakua, aloha keakua ioi. And that's just a lot of vowels in the Hawaiian language for it's a wonderful day to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Amen? Well, did you know that, the, that there has been more written in the Bible about David than anyone else except Jesus Christ. Abraham has 14 chapters in the Bible dedicated to his life. And, and so does Joseph, also 14 chapters. But Jacob, well, he only has 11, but he's got 11 chapters in the Bible to, dedicated to his life. Elijah has 10 chapters, but David... David has 66 chapters in the Old Testament alone dedicated to his life. And that doesn't include the 59 references in the New Testament about David's life. You Bible scholars probably already know that, that David wrote about 73 of the 150 Psalms. And in Psalm 18 that we're going to take a brief look at this morning. David looks back at his life when he's an older man. I can relate to that. And he looks back at some of the epic battles that he fought. And in Psalm 18, well, let's just grab our Bibles and dig into that. So if you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, David writes in Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. So, as David looks back on his life, and as he reflects, he asked himself, how on earth did I ever make it through all of those battles and all of those encounters and still make it alive? You Bible scholars, you remember when David was a young teen, in fact, he was a very young teen, he ran out into the middle of a battlefield and he faced a giant there that was 10 feet tall. As you know, the orchard is going to be going to Israel this spring, and we still have a few places if you'd like to join us. You can go online and check it out. But when Robin and I were leading a group of Bible college student years ago to Israel, we stopped there in the valley where little David faced Goliath. And one of the Bible college students came running up to us and he said, look, look, I found the stone. I found the stone that David used to slay Goliath. 
Well, I'm not sure if that was the stone or not, but you know that the Bible teaches that he did kill that giant with just one throw of his sling. And after that, he catapulted to national prominence. David was shortly thereafter commissioned to serve as an officer in the Israeli army, even though he had no military background at all. Even though he had never been a leader of any kind of organization, David stepped up. David stepped up and he accepted the challenges and he did it so well that all the soldiers, all the officers in the Israeli army confidently followed him wherever the battle was, whatever the battle might be, and whatever the odds were. They had faith in David. Well, the people of Israel, the people of Israel, they respected him so much that by the time David was at the ripe old age of 20 years old, he was a national hero and everybody was singing his praises. Uh, well, not quite everybody. Everybody, that is, except old King Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 9, when, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next they'll be making him their king. Verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. As we just read from God's word, in verse 8, King Saul became very, very angry. The Hebrew word here for anger is chara. It's a Hebrew word. As you know, the Old Testament was all written in Hebrew. And this word connotes the strongest possible anger that a person could have. It means to burn within. And so Saul, boy, he had heartache. He had heartburn. And he was burning within. His stomach was churning because David was getting more attention than he was. So Saul just did a slow, slow burn within. Because he wasn't the center of attention. Have you ever known anybody like that? Well, verse 10, the Bible tells us that an evil spirit came upon Saul. And from that day on, Saul became obsessed with destroying David two separate times. When David was in close proximity in that throne room, playing on his harp, comforting Saul, singing psalms, trying to soothe his troubled spirit. Saul picked up that spear and unexpectedly hurled it right at David, missing him by mere inches from his head. David was just playing his harp. 
just to comfort him. In his hand was a harp, an instrument of worship and praise. In Saul's hand was a spear, an instrument of war and hurting. Saul and David. But both were leaders. There's no question about that. Both were anointed, but one was on his way up, and the other, well, he was on his way down. A a person on his way up will be building others up, but a person on his way down, well, he's going to be tearing others down. Did you notice, did you notice that David did so with meekness? As you know, meekness is not to be confused with weakness. Meekness is strength, strength under control. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was one of the meekest men on the face of the earth, but hardly a weak man. In fact, in the only autobiographical description of Jesus Christ, Jesus said of himself, I am meek and lowly in heart in Matthew 18, 29. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when Saul picked up that spear and lunged at David, even though David had slain that giant. The Bible says, David, quietly, with dignity, went home just to be with his wife. But that's not the end of the story. The Bible says, when David got home, he walked into another ambush. The Bible says his wife Well, she lied to him. And if that wasn't bad enough, she walked out on him. And not only did David lose his wife, but but he was forced to leave his home, the home that he loved so much. And if that wasn't enough, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, that all of David's friends, every single one, all of the men that followed him, All of the men that looked up to him, every single one of them, all of his friends deserted him. And so, here he is, the national hero, homeless, all alone, in a dark, stinky cave. And in this cave, the Bible says that David looked up, And and he cried out to God. David didn't permit the noise of the world from hearing the voice of God. And you can read his prayer in Psalm 142. Well, the Bible says then a very interesting thing happened. In 1 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 2, 
The Bible says, then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. The, the Hebrew word, as you know, the Old Testament was all written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. The Hebrew word for trouble is zuk, which means under pressure, under tremendous pressure. And the Hebrew word for debt is nasha. And, and this means to have more than one creditor. In fact, to have many creditors. The bills were stacking up. And the Hebrew word for discontented means to have been terribly mistreated. You see, because old King Saul had burdened the people down with such heavy demands and the high taxes were unbearable, they just couldn't take it anymore. The Bible says that in fact some became so desperate that they turned to crime. Well, about 400 of these criminals found their way to the exact same cave where David was hiding. Now, it was bad enough for David to be in that dark, stinky, smelly cave all alone. But then one day, when 400 criminals, desperate men, homeless men, angry men, troubled men, come crawling into that cave and cozying up alongside of him, well, my friends, that was depressing. You know, it's been said that God can't use a man greatly until he's been hurt deeply. And I think that applies equally to women who have been hurt so deeply, but God is preparing to use them greatly. Hmm. Well, David, David was hurting. He was hurting deeply. That dark, stinky cave, it wasn't an easy place for him to be at all. All David, all David wanted to, he, he just wanted to be loved. He just wanted to have a friend. He just wanted to have some basic comforts, just, just to have a, a, a humble little home. That's all he wanted. That's really all we want. But God knows God knows that our souls don't always grow in places of comfort. So sometimes, sometimes God allows us to end up in uncomfortable places where his work can be done in our lives and through our lives. So it was there. It was there in that dark, musty cave. That dark, crowded cave that David's school of discipleship began. David understood so well that discouraged people didn't need critics. They, they were already hurting enough. 
they didn't need guilt or, 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 or judgment. They, they, they needed encouragement. They needed someone who cared. And the Bible says that David encouraged them and cared for them and loved them. Do you know someone who's hurting? Some people today, right here in this beautiful Roaring Fork Valley, in Hawaii, around the world, maybe right where you're living as you're watching online this morning, there are some people that are hurting so bad that we must, we must do more than simply preach a message. We must be that message. And that's exactly what David did. David loved God. And David loved people. Just like, just like the son of David, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls the son of David. Well, the Bible says these 400 desperate men became they became David's 400 mighty men. And the Bible says that later on, when David became the king of Israel, that these 400 men had, leaders of, had positions of leadership as cabinet members, as other leaders in his kingdom, just like you and I will be a part of the new kingdom that kingdom where Jesus Christ rules and reigns from Jerusalem, and that day is coming soon. We are closer than ever before to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no question about that. There's no doubt about that. Every prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the Lord returns and calls us home to be with him, and before he sets up, a 1,000-year millennial kingdom here on earth where he rules and reigns from Jerusalem before we all go back up to heaven to be with him forever and ever and ever. That day is closer right now than ever before. The Bible says that under David's leadership, these men developed discipline. They learned, oh, they learned how to become skilled hunters courageous fighters but 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 most of all david taught them the ways of the lord well the bible says that david and his men made their way back back home to ziklag they went back home to reunite with their families ziklag in the hebrew language, as we learned, that's from the Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, it means winding road. Winding road. And, and isn't that the way life is? A winding road. We don't see around the corner unexpected turns and twists. The older I get, and I'm very, very old, the older I get, I find that so true. We never know what tomorrow might bring. That's the way life is. Unexpected twists and turns. 
Well, the Bible says when David and his men finally arrived in Ziklag, they discovered that the Amalekites, that the, the enemy had invaded their town, had burned down all of their homes, and had taken their families away. It's a tragic story. It's found in 1 Samuel 30. So now what does David do? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible says first, he found strength in the Lord. Let's grab our Bibles again and look at 1 Samuel 30. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, beginning in verse 3, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place where you've wept and wept until you could weep no more? There were no more tears. David was there. Verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. Verse 5, David's two wives, Ahinoam, from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow, the widow of Nabal from Carmel were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David couldn't depend upon his, his men. His men were weeping until they could weep no more. They were hurting. They were angry. In fact, they were blaming him and, and there was no one else to turn to for comfort. And, and, and so the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord. Over the years, I have found that at my lowest, God is my hope. My darkest, God is my light. At my weakest, he is my strength. And at my saddest, he is my comforter. So David found strength in the Lord. Second, he sought the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. I love it. I love it. The Bible says that David prayed a short, simple, to-the-point prayer. He simply prayed, what do you want me to do, Lord? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to be? And the Bible says that the Lord answered him directly and quickly, and God will do the same for you. It doesn't take as much as you might think. 
Oh, oh yeah. There's no question about that. Satan, he'll show up on the scene. There's no question. And he'll whisper in your ear, oh, oh. So you want to hear from God? Oh, that's going to require three hours of deep, deep intercessory prayer. Oh, also three days of fasting. Oh, also you really need to go on a spiritual retreat for at least a, a week. You say you only have 30 minutes, but God's not going to hear you. 10 minutes? Forget about it. Three minutes, he'll whisper that lie in your ear. You've got to be kidding. And that, my friends, is a lie from the pit of hell. Just ask Peter. Just ask Peter. You remember? Remember when Peter was on the Sea of Galilee? He had been walking on the water, but now he was sinking into the deep sea there on Galilee. And Peter didn't pray for three days or three hours or even three minutes. Peter just prayed three words. Lord, save me. And the Bible says in Matthew 14 that Jesus grabbed him by the hand and pulled him to safety. And Peter learned in that moment that it's better to be with Jesus in the storms than to have smooth sailing without him. And you know what, my friend? He'll do the same for you. There's no question about that. All you need to do is seek him. Well, third, third, David obeyed the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, verses 9 and 10, so David and his 600 men set out. And they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook, so David continued in pursuit with 400 men. The Bible says that David took a step of faith. I love it. He set out in obedience. And today God is saying exactly the same thing to you and to me. Find strength in me. Number two, seek me. And then, number three, obey me. Obey me wherever I lead. Remember, one of the greatest abilities is availability. The Bible says in verse 17 that David and his men recovered everything that the enemy had taken away. And that's always the way it is with our Lord. He wants you to recover everything that has been taken away by the enemy. So in Psalm 18, David looks back. He looks back on the battles that he's fought. He looks back and he, and he remembers that, that God doesn't promise a life without battles, but, but he does promise, he does promise strength in those battles. So, my friends, be encouraged. Our God is a good God. Today we learned 
just through a couple of chapters here as we've reviewed a couple of points in David's life, that in David's hand was a small harp, an instrument of, of healing, of hope, representing temporary healing, temporary hope for one troubled man. But in Jesus' hand was a loaf of bread, representing eternal hope for everyone, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Did you notice that, that Jesus, he, he took the bread in his hand first. And then later on, he took the cup. First the bread, then the cup. Now, if I were setting up the Lord's Supper, I would have done it just the opposite. Completely different. I would have served the cup first and then the bread. I would have said before the body of Christ can come into us, the blood of Christ must, must first cleanse us. But, but not our Lord. Not our Lord. No. Jesus gave the bread first and then the cup. Why? Because Jesus is showing us that first he wants to come in to us, then he'll cleanse us. Uh, too many people think. Too many people think they must first clean up their act before they ask Jesus to come into their heart. Nothing could be further from the truth. Just the opposite is true. First, Jesus comes into our lives. Then he cleanses our lives. So this morning, dear friends, take the bread, take the cup in your hand, and partake. Because this we do as we remember what he has done for us.